1: Pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo tobacco alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, three and out podcast. It's I mean, less than five minutes after that game just ended. That's entertainment, you know. Thank God for the NFL. I you remember when, like four or five years ago, everyone at uh, ESPN was telling us the NFL was going to crumble. Uh, fun times. That was uh, that, that. That's the type game. Why the NFL's king. I, you know, it's just that's entertainment at its finest when it comes to uh, when it comes to sporting events. You know, you just on the edge of your seat. Forty seven, forty two. Someone texted me. I, I didn't look. The line was Ravens minus three. So if that's true, that's crazy. Uh that that was <laughs> that was crazy. Uh we'll we'll dive obviously into that game. And then just a lot of other stuff coming up. Uh Jalen Hurts, thoughts on different quarterback situations around the league, some things I noticed trending up, trending down, uh some college thoughts. Gus Malzahn fired from uh the University of Auburn. And uh and then a little Middlecoff mailbag at John Middlecoff is my Instagram handle. The direct messages are, are wide open, and uh, welcome for you to come on in and ask me any question you want, and we will answer it here on the podcast. And also, if you could, greatly appreciate it. Three and Out Podcast, leave a review. Uh, that'd be awesome if you could. Three and Out Podcast, leave a review. If you don't, if you listen on Collins' feed, subscribe to my feed. And uh, I see a lot of buzzing on the internet, like cowards going to bar stool and just shit. You never know. Uh, keep your head on a swivel. You know, middle cough to who knows where, but subscribe to the podcast. Three and Out podcast, greatly appreciate that, and we'll just keep on humming. I don't even know where to start. Uh, (laughs) I guess on the most basic level, the Browns, it can't really, I I think there are two two teams that really stand out in my mind over the last couple decades that have just been a laughing stock. I don't count the Jaguars. No offense to any of you Jacksonville fans. You just aren't very relevant. To me, the two teams that stand out of just someone that we constantly make fun of when it comes to football and it comes to dysfunction is the Raiders and the Browns. And it's really, really difficult to take over. Like, whoever takes... If John Harbaugh retired at the end of this year, the Ravens are set up to succeed. They have an infrastructure. They have a culture. They have a history of winning. Same with the Steelers. Like Now, if whoever takes over one day for Andy... Like, there's an infrastructure. There is a there is a culture of winning. There is a standard that is expected the moment you walk in the building. It's why all the top programs, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, like, they're just on a different level. It's why, same thing with winning teams in the NFL. There is a different expectation when you play for the Chiefs, when you play for the Saints, when you play for the Steelers, when you play for the Packers. That's not the case with the Browns, at least the majority of my adult life. And Kevin Stefanski has gone there, and they're now 9-4, and four, but they are respectable. I mean, that was a legitimate, respectable game. And maybe I've been a little hard on Baker Mayfield, because the one thing I saw tonight was, you know, maybe he's got a little more talent than I give him credit for. His arm is not as bad as the way that I talk about him. He has, a, you know, a strong arm. And clearly when he's on the move, he can throw the ball, he can throw ropes. His arm is stronger than, I guess, a lot of the shit that I've been talking. It is not bad. Now, there were some plays, like, I'm not going to come here and start banging the drum like Baker Mayfield, some superstar. He threw a bad pick that was basically a pick six. They scored on the next play. Some of the plays he's making, he's throwing to wide open guys that are making plays after the ball's in their hand. But clearly, I guess I could see how you'd pick up your fifth year option. I still don't see a $30 million plus quarterback, but it is what it is. I get it if you're the Browns. Uh, but I got to give a lot of credit to Stefanski because it's not easy to come in to places that are a joke. I saw before Jack Del or before Gruden got here with Jack Del Rio, and Jack Del Rio played in the NFL. He had been a head coaching a head coach in the NFL before, had been to the playoffs as a head coach. He had some just some clout. And when you meet him, he's a big guy like Stefanski, a lifelong position coach. And Grunt really had only been a coordinator for a year. I guess half a year and a half because he took over when DeFilippo got fired. But it's not like he had some long track record. So to come into, now the team is is good. I mean, they have a really good roster, but that doesn't matter. This is not the NBA. Just because you have good players doesn't mean you win in football. He is a good play caller. He's very calm on the sideline. Like He just looked like they kept showing Harbaugh and they kept showing Stefanski. And I went, yeah, this is a legitimate coach. The, the, the best part of night, if I'm a Browns fan, is that, one, it's cool as someone that lives in California. I don't know if you saw these rules in San Francisco. They just tweeted out the other day that you're allowed to go on dates now, but you're not allowed to kiss if you're dating someone. You're not allowed to kiss unless you live together. That's really what's going on in San Francisco. Obviously, in Santa Clara, the 49ers got kicked out of their own town. They got kicked out. That's why they're playing in Arizona. It brings me great joy. Seeing fans at the stands, seeing people living, because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum where I have to read tweets about 20 miles away from me. Humans are not allowed to kiss, so that, I thought the crowd was rocking tonight. It's fun to see people living life, and that was that was led, I think, to the great viewing product. And obviously, back to Stefanski, like Browns Ravens. My thought when it was they were up 34 to 20 was like, oh, the Ravens are gonna end up blowing them out by 20 plus. That's what's going to, the game's going to get away from them, and that is not what happened at all. So I I give the Ravens, or I mean the Browns, a lot of credit. Now, I'm recording this before maybe Lamar, whether he's pooping, cramps, combination of them both. That is one of the most unique moments I've ever seen. He's basically gone the entire fourth quarter. Trace McSorley comes in. Actually made a nice throw to Hollywood Brown, which, bro, if you're not going to, Catch the ball. I don't know if we can nickname it. Now, you ended up making up for it with the final touchdown that, uh, that tied the game. But, Trace McSorley hurts his knee. It's fourth down. I'm thinking to myself, the Ravens are going to lose this game. They don't have a quarterback. It's like fourth and five, fourth and six. They're going to have to run some sort of wildcat. And then all of a sudden, Lamar Jackson, out of nowhere, comes out from the sideline, comes on the field, throws a touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, who had almost screwed up the game a couple possessions before, and all of a sudden the game's tied. That's one of the better moments, Monday Night Football, I feel like in decades. Just the drama of that. I'm thinking, what are they going to do? And then Lamar comes out, for a guy that I never would have drafted, that I think a lot of people think that, you know, I don't really like as a player. I've never not liked a player's ability. Now, clearly he has a lot of ability. He's not a great passer of the football, yet rooted and enjoyed the human being more. Usually when I don't like a player, I just convince myself to not really like the person. Not because they're a bad guy or whatever, just because it's easier that way. Like, I hate this guy, I want this guy to suck. It's just easier to wrap your head around that way, the way I'm kind of, the way my mind works. When I don't like you as a player, I just don't like you. That is not the case with Lamar Jackson. I find myself enjoying watching Lamar Jackson play. Now, what I've been saying for a couple years, the facts are the facts. He can't consistently hit throws down the middle of the field. He had Mark Andrews wide open, a play that probably would have ended the game, overthrows him. He does that constantly. That is his problem. Why? Now, their schedule breaks down. I think they play the Jags. They got the Bengals. I mean, I think they got the Giants. They're probably going to win out. They should be 11-5. and And they they might end up, kind of crazy, end up being the 5-seed. But they're going to play the Colts or the Titans more than likely in that first round if they're the 5-seed. And I'll bet against the Ravens because they have a fundamental flaw. They played hard on defense. They're well they have a good coaching staff. They have a lot of talent on offense. They have a fantastic running game. You'd say the Cleveland Browns who have Chubb and Hunt who are probably two of the best running backs. Let me rephrase that. Probably the best running back duo in the NFL, right? Chubb's a top 5 guy. Kareem Hunt has to be the best backup in the league. Yet the Ravens tonight run for 231 yards. When they run it down your throat, they can dominate and they consistently do that in the regular season? Well, when they play, let's say, the Colts in the first round, what are they not going to be able to do? I'll answer it. Run for 200 yards. Run for 150 yards. Hell, it might be hard to run for 100 yards. So do you know why, like the Ravens, 47-42, to 42, you look and you go, God, what a win! They could score up some serious points. Well, five touchdowns came on the ground. Lamar had two, J.K. had one, and Gus had two. Like, in the playoffs... Maybe you could pull that off in like 1990. It's pretty clear now. Even, you know, in these colder environments, you have to at least be able to function in the air. And Lamar Jackson, now his numbers are a little skewed because he missed the quarter. But, I mean, he's struggling to throw for like 200 yards. It's just not possible to consistently win that way. And that's why I I think too often, and I get this DM all the time, people tweeting at me. What do you think the Ravens do this offseason with Lamar's contract? Why are we in a rush? And I see this in the NBA. Why are we in a rush to pay everybody? Like, I'll, I'll pay Josh Allen. I'll extend him this offseason. I'm not extending Lamar Jackson. I got him on a I got him on a rookie contract. He's a first-round pick, so he's a, on a five-year contract. I'll pick up his fifth-year option this year, and he'll play off the fourth year. That's what I'm doing. Now, I, I wouldn't necessarily do that for Baker. I understand how they probably will. But, like, I'm not extending Baker Mayfield either. Like, why do we need to extend everybody? I extend Patrick Mahomes. I'll extend Deshaun Watson. I'll extend Josh Allen. I'm not extending Lamar Jackson. I'm not extending Baker Mayfield. Let's just let some things play out. We're always in a huge rush. We want to pay everybody. We got to pay everyone. In the NBA, they love paying all these young guys the maxes. 80% of them never make an all-star team. And you're like, God, we hate this guy's contract. Well, why'd you pay him? No one's, you know, this is America. No one's forcing you to. Well, his agent, they would have been mad. Who gives a shit? Let it play out. And if he's good enough, then he's worth it. Because if he's not, no one cares. That Like, you did the right thing and paid him early. Because if he's not good enough, that's wasted money. So I think you saw two guys tonight that are kind of fundamentally different. Obviously, Lamar is just an incredible athlete. An absolute, breathtaking athlete. Who struggles to throw the football. Like, the evidence is in. We see it. It happens every single game when you watch them play. Mark Andrews, probably one of the more underrated players in the league, gets open all the time. And Lamar overthrows him. And Baker Mayfield, who, you know, his arm strength looked pretty good, made a what could have been a crucial mistake when he threw that pick in the second half. But he made up for it. His guys made up for it. Uh, Peoples-Jones, like that that guy looks pretty good. But overall, that's, that tonight is why the NFL is king. You had just, if you're watching that game, you were just glued to your seat. The action, the drama, dudes disappearing, a comeback. Looks like the Browns are going to have the biggest win in like modern day franchise history. Then the Ravens kind of pull this game out of their ass. And just, I I, 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 that was awesome. You know, sometimes you just don't even know what else to say beside that was really fun. Now, I've always said like, I do like defense. You know, I mean, that's... It's not ideal. This is the NFL, 47-42, you know. That's that's a lot of points. That means a lot of guys are wide open, you know, and they were. So we'd like to play a little more defense. But listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, not trying to complain. I had a good time.
0: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like... How much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L A S I K. LASIK.com. Juan
2: Gabriel. Juanqui. Selena.
3: Selena.
2: Celia Cruz. Azucar. Harold G. La Bichota.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development.
2: When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next.
0: Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, at about, you know, probably a little after 7 Pacific Standard Time on Sunday, news broke that the Raiders had fired their defensive coordinator. And the other podcast I do, Haberman and Middlecoff, it's, it's very 49er-centric, and we also talk a lot of Raiders. Now, we talk other stuff, too, but like we typically record that podcast after the Niners and Raiders game end. And the Ra- we had already recorded the podcast, so we had to go re-record the segment. It wasn't that much different. Obviously, the Raiders' defense was historically... Terrible. I mean, I think they average over 30, you know, I guess not historically terrible, but they're awful. And Paul Gunther being fired was not that eye-opening in the sense that he deserved to keep his job. But just any time a coach gets fired uh, during the season, it's always like kind of wow. And so we had to re-record a segment because the podcast was already recorded, but not, you know, it's not that hard. But I've been thinking a lot about it really for the last, you know, 12, 15, 24 hours since the guy got fired. And I can, I've only worked in two office settings, one football and the other in radio. And in football, I would say is probably not your typical corporate setting, right? I mean, it's, it's very public. Uh, you know, your head coach and your GM, it's very clear who is making the decisions. Uh, it's a very black and white business. You either win or you lose on Sunday, right? Like once the game happens, like it, it's very, very clear whether your organization is doing well or not. Either win or lose. In radio, it's a lot different. Ratings factor in, sales factor in, you know, kind of a archaic measure of how many people are listening factors in. And it's a lot more of middle management trying to take credit or avoiding for what they didn't do. Where in football, if your quarterback sucks, it's like either on the head coach, the offensive coordinator, or the GM. You know, it's, it's pretty clear who who takes responsibility for what in football. Even if you don't know who the guy is picking the players, coach, GM, we all know it falls on one of them. Where in the radio setting, and I'm sure many of you can you know, relate to this, in just your typical corporate setting, there's so many middle management, there's so many people you go, who's really in charge here? Like this guy is in charge of this budget, but he's actually not really in charge because he has to get approval from people above him. So even if the guy is my boss, like, does he really have that much juice? Is he really responsible for my... You know, uh, employment. And it's always kind of confusing, especially when you're younger. I would imagine anyone listening who's been in that setting for a long period of time, you get to realize who you want to go to, right? Decision makers, guys above middle management. But it's kind of a complicated situation. It's why a lot of middle management, good companies, you start making two, three, four hundred grand, they're always pointing the finger because they never want to take responsibility because their job's kind of easy. And when it comes to football, it's not like that at all. It's clear who's in charge. And I would say in the National Football League, if Belichick's number one, just in terms of most power in an organization, I don't see how there's any way around John Gruden being 1A. And you could argue, because Belichick's owner has so much juice, he's so powerful, like he can push back against Belichick. I would imagine they have disagreements, healthy disagreements. Whatever John Gruden says with the, I almost said Oakland Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders goes. It is 100% his show. He, despite being quote-unquote friends with Mark Davis, it took so, it, it took 10 years and $100 million to convince the guy to come back. And no one has a contract that big. Now, I think Belichick and probably Andy and Sean Payton might make more per year than, uh, than John Gruden or Matt Rule. But no one has the length of contract, at least to my knowledge, as long as John. And when John Gruden took over the job, he had complete power to hire, fire, anything he wanted. Any person, any player, trait, clearly did it. Khalil Mack gone, Amari Cooper gone, Reggie McKenzie was gone, handpicked Mike Mayock. The other guy, it was a decade from start to finish of him being fired in Tampa, right, working at ESPN, and then agreeing to come back with the Raiders. His handpicked, not the one forced on him, not the guy that he had to inherit, This is not Matt LaFleur, Mike Pettin. This is his hand-picked guy, was Paul Gunther. And then, the roster, where I think even some of you, depending on your team, you go, like, is my coach really in charge? Is my general manager really in charge? Here's what we know. 100% fact. Every single player on the Raiders roster, and this was where it parallels New England, every single player is a guy John Gruden wanted on that roster. We're not in year one anymore. We're in year three. They've gotten rid of every guy he didn't want, good ones, bad ones, you name it, and he put together this roster. And with the trades and kind of bottoming out, they had really high picks, and they had extra picks because of Amari Cooper and because of uh, Khalil Mack. Well, they basically took, now this was their own pick, but they took Cleveland Farrell number four. That's a disastrous pick. He's probably like a third rounder. And they passed on Devin White, who if they would have just taken Devin White, he would be dramatically better. But we could play that game all day long with most teams and draft picks. They also took a hard-hitting safety in Jonathan Abram late in, uh, the, in the first round, in that same draft. The problem with Jonathan Abram, he can't play in 2020. He's a hard hitter. That's not really allowed anymore. He can't cover. Not ideal. It's a passing league. He constantly knocks himself out and gets hurt. Also, not ideal. They have consistently missed on defensive players. Now, is Paul Gunther any good? I don't know. I'm not here to defend Paul Gunther. He might be terrible. I think a lot of coaches in the NFL are probably pretty average. Most good coaches, there, there is a much smaller percentage of good coaches than there is, uh, you know, th- there are way less good coaches in the league than there are average to below average, clearly. So Paul Gunther more than likely average to below. But I know for a fact that their personnel on defense is bad. is really bad. And that, to me, is on John Gruden. Like, there's no, it's not Paul Gunther, it's not Mayock, that's on John Gruden. And when you give a guy all this power, he put the team together. And he invested a lot in offense. Their offense is pretty good, but it's not. Elite, and their defense is atrocious. I think it averages over 30 points a game, which, you're just not going to make the playoffs like that. Clearly, obviously. I mean, they just got shoved around by the Indianapolis Colts. Here's another thought I had late last night. Watching the Sunday night football game. If you are building a team to play in the AFC, you better build a physical team. Because all the teams do two things. One, they play physical football. And two, they play outdoors in the freezing cold. And Gruden built this offense, which is great, but he discounted the defense. And slash just missed on a ton of picks on the defense. Well, when you go play Kansas City, when you go play now Buffalo, when you go play Pittsburgh or Baltimore, and Cleveland is now good, You were talking about environments in November, December, and January that are going to be freezing cold. Where if you watch that Sunday night, it was cold, it was rainy. You're not going to score 35 points. The St. Louis Rams in 99 are not going to put up 40 in that environment. It is a physical, knockdown, dragout drag-out style of football. Now, obviously, Mahomes, he's going to be able to score points outdoors in the cold. But not as many, typically, as he's going to be able to do in October. So you have to build the team that is good on the line of scrimmage. On both lines of scrimmage, you have to rush the passer. You have to be a physical, hard-tackling defense. The Raiders built a team like they're playing in a dome in the NFC. That's not the case. They play in the AFC where all the teams are physical, where all the teams that are good play outdoors in the cold. Beside the Colts, ironically, the Colts have actually built a team that is can easily go Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and at least have a chance to hang if Rivers plays well because they're built defensively and on the line of scrimmage on offense and can run the ball. The Raiders, like, this is Gruden, year three, $100 million, more than likely they're not going to make the playoffs again. The only guy that deserves all the blame is John Gruden. You can blame Paul Gunther, John Gruden chose him. When, when a player screws up and you ask the player to do something specifically as a coach, that's on you as much as it is on the player. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And when you're a head coach, you hire all the assistants, especially in, in the Raiders building where no one has more juice. You are picking all the players of all these draft picks that you had because you traded really good players. So, at the end of the day, Paul Gunther was fired. But I mean, what's John Gruden going to do? He's not going to fire himself. Uh, I don't. I don't see how anything changes in the immediate. Their defensive roster is awful. So, like, he deserves to take responsibility. It was announced Jalen Hurts is going to start again. Of course he is. He looked pretty good. I watched that game on my iPad about 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Just a little condensed version. I was impressed. And I think overall, and I said it last week, Carson Wentz needed to go to the sideline. He needed a mental break. I also think one thing the Eagles game showed is when you're in a team environment, when you're in an office environment, If something is not working, it can bring a lot of other people down. Even if you like the person. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of guys on the Eagles roster, I know Jason Kelsey gave some comments, like Carson Wentz and wanted it to work. But when there's a negative energy in a building, and and I've experienced it definitely in in radio, everyone is miserable. It's not a fun place to be. And listen, like high-level business, high-level football shouldn't always be fun. But when every single human is miserable coming in, and whether that be in business, you're not going to make any money. Whether that be in football, you're not going to win. It's it's counterproductive. So when you change something up and just pull kind of a curveball, there is the opportunity for that just to wake some people up and give people new life. And when I watched the Eagles play with Jalen Hurts, I saw a team that just had a little more life to them. Had a little more pep in their step. And sometimes change, and this is why I think in football, people just go to the backup quarterback. In baseball, it happens all the time. When a quarterback or when a pitcher doesn't have it, you just bring in another guy. Same thing in basketball. Like when your starting lineup doesn't happen, how often of any basketball team you've ever rooted for, second unit coming in, they're lighting up the first, you know, whoever they're playing. They brought you back in a game, and the head coach just leaves them in, lets it go. Sometimes you just got to ride the hot hand. And riding a hot hand in life, in sports, doesn't mean you do it forever. Most people don't stay hot forever, you know? But it can just get the train back on the tracks. And for whatever reason, it looked like the wide receivers were trying a little bit harder. Like the defense was tackling a little bit more. Now there are some football elements why the Eagles were just better and ultimately beat, you know, one of the best teams in the league in the Saints. Jalen Hurts did not throw interceptions, And I was thinking, like, what is the big difference watching this game than watching Carson Wentz play? And the number one thing he consistently did when I watched Carson Wentz this season was throw picks. And it's impossible when you consistently throw interceptions, whether it be in the red zone, whether it be on a drive, whether it be in the other team's territory, and not be just dramatically inflating to your entire roster. And Jalen Hurts... Is he perfect? Is he elite? I mean, he threw for 167 yards. A huge part of his success was on the ground. He ran for over 100, but he did not throw an interception. Now, there was a pass, I think, on an out route that easily could have been like a pick six. He was not perfect by any means, but the other team didn't catch it. And for whatever reason, the other team, when Carson was playing, was catching the football. If you do not turn the ball over, the Eagles have you know enough talent on offense in Miles Sanders and Goddard and Fulgham. Alshon's back now. Jalen Rager. They should be decent. And the problem with the Eagles with Carson Wentz, they could not score points. They were constantly going into halftime, zero points, three points, six points. They went into halftime against the Saints with 17 points. Can you imagine the feeling of just being on that team, being a coach, and just looking at the scoreboard when you were walking off the field to go get, you know, a power bar and a Gatorade and sit there for 15 minutes and just seeing 17 points, how just invigorating that must have felt, how enlightening, how just inspiring. It's like, we got a chance to win a game because we're scoring points. And that was just, that was not the case with Carson Wentz. So, listen, I don't know. Jalen Hurts, he actually looked better than I thought he would look. I always red flag the first time a guy's out a little bit, especially if it's a running quarterback. I don't think he's some long-term answer. Could be wrong, but I'd bet against it. It was clearly the right move, and it worked with flying colors. The other thing I was wrong on, but I also understand, is Taysom Hill is much better than I thought. Is he some elite, future top-five quarterback? I don't know, but I do think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He was 28-38 for almost 300 yards and two touchdowns. He has a really strong arm, and he obviously can run around and make plays with his legs. And watching Josh Allen on Sunday night, you realize, like, Sean Payton, on his own team, has this guy that he's seen in practice with a big arm, big athlete, high-character guy, Breeze loves, ran a 4-4, he knows the offense. Like, is it really that shocking Sean Payton likes him? Most coaches don't give a shit what what the internet is saying about them. Sean Payton goes to practice every day for the last three or four years with Taysom Hill on his team. Sees clearly he can do all this other stuff, but just from a quarterback, big arm, much better than Breeze. High character guy, just like Breeze. Clearly really smart, understands the offense. Pretty accurate. But again, huge arm, something that he hasn't had. He goes, well, I got all these offensive skill guys around him. Why can't the guy make plays? I'm one of the best coaches in the in the sport. Why can't I coach this guy up and make him a quarterback? He was a quarterback in college. It's not like I'm moving a guy from wide receiver to quarterback. and hope. No, this guy can throw. He's a little unconventional the way he kind of backpedals and stuff, but it's just like, whatever. Football's a little unconventional now. You you see all these guys, like, if you want to get an elite quarterback prospect, you typically have to draft him high. Saints are winning 10 to 13 games every year. They're never drafting high. They're 10 and 3 right now. They're going to end up being 12 and 4. They're not going to sniff one of these top quarterbacks. He never has access to them. So, yeah, I get why he likes Taysom Hill. That's his guy. That's his project guy's pretty good, much dramatically better than I thought, dramatically better than anyone on social media thought. I would imagine any Saints fan listening, he has to be a little bit better than you would imagine. He's not, I, I thought he might be bad. He's not only not bad, like, I watch him sometimes and go, this guy's pretty good. Now, it's all relative to how good, I, you know, he's got a long ways to go, but I, I, I'm pretty fascinated. I, I, th- I think this might work. Okay, let's just uh, let's look at some stuff. And to, to quote my guy Jim Cramer, some things I saw this weekend that I'm buying and some things I saw this weekend that I'm selling. You know, right now, no one cares what you did in October. The playoffs are almost here, how your team's looking. Are you, are you trending up or are you trending down? And I'm going to start with the Washington football team. I'm buying what they're selling. Ron Rivera is a legitimate head coach. He brings an element to any franchise of toughness, of discipline and direction. The Carolina Panthers, when he took over in 2011, were a joke. They had the number one pick in the draft. Eight, nine years later, they became a very, very respectable franchise. Took them to the playoffs several times, obviously went to the Super Bowl. He's a legitimate NFL coach. I watched that game every snap. I I hope you, if you weren't a Washington football team fan or a Niner fan, don't waste your time. No one wants to watch Nick Mullins play football especially against a defense that's really good. The football team has a front seven that is no joke. Chase Young is everything anyone hoped Clowney will be. Plays his ass off and dominates. And they have several other defensive linemen that you just, are just game wreckers. They are really good up front on defense. Offensively, Alex is hurt. He's just not that good. And Dwayne Haskins is even worse. But they're tough. They're physical. They're just trying to try to ugly up the game. Big picture. If they can find themselves with an, a starting quarterback, if I was them, I'd be all over like Dak Prescott. You just gave them Dak Prescott or gave them just a top, you know, fifteen, sixteen quarterback, they'd be a lock playoff team. They, they, they are they are solid. They are missing a quarterback and probably some weapons, but a quarterback is really what they need. Clearly the the Pittsburgh Steelers, I would sell. Uh you just it's hard to handle that many injuries on defense when defense is what separated you. With Bud Dupree and the middle linebacker, Bush, they were unstoppable. They could do everything. They could rush the passer. They could stop the run. They could cover the pass. They could do it all. And just when you lose one of your best pass rushers, it hurts. There's no way around it. Bud Dupree and Watt are just a dominant force. Well, When you take one of the two of them away, it's not quite as potent, despite TJ being a star. Offensively, they can't run the ball. I had some people DM me, like, Middlecoff, you're being a little hard on Ben. Like, he is not the problem. I don't think Ben is the problem. But, he is no longer what he used to be. He can't really scramble. He can't really move. He's a true pocket quarterback. And I think you watched him in that game against the, the Bills. Like, his accuracy is a little hit or miss. The big fella can still throw some darts. Still throws a beautiful touchdown. But he's just, he's still a really good player. And clearly with him, they are infinitely better off than all the scrubs they had last year but the day and age of him being like a hall of famer and one of the elite guys in the league are are just over so I I just I don't see how they're going to make that much hay in the playoffs because offensively they're not potent enough and clearly defensively they're just not the same Seattle I get a lot of people DMing me what's going on what's going on are we screwed good teams have a couple bad weeks Russell Wilson had a couple shitty weeks. It happens. It's football. It's the National Football League. It's hard. Being quarterback's hard. You're not just going to have a perfect season. Like it's it's okay. I said, if if it gets weird against the Jets, I will say your franchise has an issue right now. But I will buy Seattle. They're gonna be fine. Their defense is getting better. I know it was the Jets, but you know what happens when you play the Jets if you're a really good team? You beat them 40 to 3. If they can stay healthy, they have as good of a chance as any team in the NFC to win it. Because their defense is a little bit better now. Jamal Adams gives them a pass rushing you know, element, despite him being a DB, but he's a great pass rusher. Uh, th- their defense just looks a little bit better. They need Russell to play like an MVP. If Russell plays like an MVP, and their defense just isn't shitty, it's just middle of the road, Seattle could win the NFC. What did I say from the beginning? I, I can't take Seattle seriously with the joke defense. Well, their defense is no longer a joke. Their offense has been a problem. So if the offense can just get back, you know, the train back on the tracks and just be potent again, and their defense just be incrementally better, they're good. I'm I'm buying Seattle stock. I trust Seattle more than I do the Rams in the playoffs, mainly because of Russell Wilson and Jared Goff. Uh, The Giants, I got to sell a little stock. I like Joe Judge. Defensively, they play really hard. It's hard to take a team seriously. And this Washington, a little bit like this too, I just think Washington has better players than the Giants top to bottom. Like, you're just... Daniel Jones, he fumbles all the time. Now, sometimes it's not his fault. A free rusher coming around the edge and the ball's on the ground. But every time I watch him, and, you know, it was the only game I had locally on. So I had I have two TVs in my living room, and I had the red zone on one, and I had the other channel was the Arizona Giants game. And the ball's always on the ground. And I kind of want to like Daniel Jones. I almost called him Alex Jones. He's not Alex Jones. Daniel Jones, Like it's like, could he be Alex Smith? Alex Smith is really accurate. Daniel Jones, to me, is a little reckless with the football, despite being really talented. Like, to me, he's kind of their problem, you know, in a weird way, because defensively they play really hard, they're well coached, they're like the Washington football team, just with a little less talent. So I'm, I, I feel pretty confident, but not really that confident, because I don't love if Alex, I don't know how long he's out, I don't really trust Dwayne Haskins. But I do think just the football teams, their defense is better. So I I would sell some giant stock. The Packers. uh, I mean, they're just just a dominant force on offense. Devontae, Aaron's probably going to win the MVP, him or Mahomes. LaFleur's been awesome this year calling plays. You play a bad team in the Lions, and you you beat them pretty soundly. Like, that's what good teams do. And the big thing this year that is different than last year, because to me, their defense, I would still red flag. I would still not totally trust their defense. But an underrated element last year of the Packers was like, what's up with Aaron Rodgers? He doesn't look quite as good. And it's easy for us to say on the outside, they drafted a first-round quarterback. They believe that. It's not media speak. This isn't Kyrie Irving like, I mean, you're just making shit up. No, we were all saying it. And then their team drafted a quarterback in the first round. But they have got him playing some of the best football of his career. He was 26-33 yesterday for three touchdowns. Devontae is, I don't see if there, there might be a receiver as good as him, but there's not anyone better than him right now in the NFL. He is a baller. And they are now with the Saints losing in first place because obviously they own the time breaker. They beat them this year. And they got a pretty clear path to win the next three games uh, and get that number one seed. And a little like Seattle... When when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, I just even if your defense is flawed, I think you got a pretty good chance to win the NFC. Now, I don't think either one is beating the Chiefs, but you know, the NFC is is wide open right now. The last team I would sell is just again, I was just singing this guy's praises. I, I think Taysom Hill looks good. You just can't lose the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Like that to me is a little bit of a weird loss. You just you can't lose that game. You, you can't lose that game. To Jalen Hurts, first start, the dude that couldn't start at Alabama, you lost to him when you're fighting for the number one seed. Any other year, it, to me, this wouldn't be that big a deal, but only one team gets a buy this year. So that loss is a huge, huge deal. I don't know, man. That's just, what are they going to do? Like, are, Is Drew Brees just automatically get a starting job back? Because he wasn't that great before. Taysom Hill clearly brings a different element to their game. I guess you could probably use Taysom a little bit more. Uh, But man, you lose to the Eagles? With Jalen Hurts? Who runs for 100 yards on you? That was... That was a weird loss. The Saints have had a couple weird losses. Second week of the season when the Raiders kicked their ass. This loss. I want to really like the Saints. But I don't know, man. That that was was bizarre.
0: L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. One
2: Celina. Celina. Celia Cruz. Azucar. Carol G. La bichota. Cristina Aguilera. Tina. Just to name a few.
0: We're serving the whole story.
2: From rags to riches.
0: And all the tea in between.
2: I'm Liliana Vasquez.
0: And I'm Joseph Carrillo.
2: And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in a house?
1: Let's just hit a couple quick things on college football. A bunch of guys have been fired. I guess the biggest name that was fired so far has been Gus Malzahn with Auburn. And Tennessee is going to have an opening probably within the next year with Jeremy Pruitt losing his job. I I was talking with some people in the business, people that are close with coaches, and I I don't think there's a league that has a, a false sense of reality than some individual teams within the SEC. As talking to people that are very, very tight in the SEC, they think Auburn's a terrible job because of the inflated expectations with your rival being the best program in the country, the shady and just different people pulling all the strings in the background, a little bit like Texas. That These jobs view themselves like they're Alabama, like they're Ohio State, and they just are not. Yet you are held to those Expectations. So the moment you go 10-3, and it's viewed at like a, you didn't accomplish anything. I saw it happen with Florida with Jim McElwain when he was going to the SEC championship game. It was not good enough. Now, ultimately, Dan Mullen is a much better fit there. But like, is he a disappointment because he lost two games? Lost to LSU and Texas A&M this year? It's very, very difficult. And the person tied in had a good point. He said, if I had a hot coaching candidate, I would 1,000,000% send him to the Big 12. And I recommend send him to the Pac-12. The problem is the Pac-12, that just like the Washington was supposed to play in the Pac-12 championship game, they yanked them. now it's Oregon. Just a shit show. Academia comes first out here, even though football pays the bill. It's a disaster. I just, they, honestly, the Pac-12 should merge with the Mountain West. Especially if Oregon loses Mario Cristobal to Auburn. If your number 1 program with cash can't keep a coach from going to Auburn, like let's just let's just go power four. But to me the Big 12, there is probably not a better job in America. Like Alabama is a good job, but you better win big. And it's not easy to win big there cuz you got Florida, you got Georgia, you got LSU and you got AM, and now you got Lane Kiffin coming for your ass. And it's easy for Nick because it's rolling now, but whoever comes in next, the expectations are going to be it's a tough job. All the SEC jobs, really hard. Really, really hard. The Ohio State job now for Ryan Day actually isn't that hard because the school kind of recruits itself. Michigan, your big rival, isn't any good. Wisconsin just won't have the talent you have. It's going to be pretty easy for Ohio State to consistently keep winning. He said, I'd put someone in the Big Ten. You can get a job. It's why James Franklin started making some noise. He started recruiting big time and was winning 10, 11 games. But the Big 12, beside Oklahoma, which you could argue is the best job in the country because the, the rest of your conference stinks. Matt Campbell easily could get some big-time NFL offers and might not be at Iowa State long. Texas is a mess. Lincoln Riley makes $8-9 wins the conference every year. Now, it's going to be a little hard for him to win a national championship just because the way he has to be, build his team to win in the conference doesn't necessarily help to beat Clemson, uh, Alabama, LSU, or... Or Ohio State, but as long as he gets to the to the final four, he's gonna be viewed at as a success. The expectations are not that out of whack. As long as they win their 11 12 games every year, beat Texas and go to the playoffs, he's good. And he's gonna keep doing that. He can be a guy to keep that job for 20 years. Bob Stoops did. That doesn't happen in the like there ain't many coaches, unless you're saving, keeping a job for 15, 20 years in the SEC. Not now. Not with all the money. So you you look at the SEC. I would not take SEC jobs. Like when Tennessee comes open, that's not a good job. The recruiting base stinks. The expectations, it's, it's like Nebraska. We're living like it's 1997. It's 2020. Times have changed. The game has changed. The money has changed. Recruiting has changed. These jobs are very, very difficult. I saw some people on Twitter like, how could Auburn pay Gus Melzon 20 million in a pandemic I'll tell you a booster cut a check this is big boy business someone paid him to go away and I was told that when he was celebrating with his team after Mississippi State the Auburn administration was working on the finalization of getting the money to get him gone and there's internet you know the Auburn tweeted it out him dancing with his players he had no clue he went six and four in the middle of a pandemic and they they fired him and listen I He'd been there eight years. They paid him twenty million to go away. You could gladly pay me twenty million dollars to go away, and he'll get another job. But that job is just not good. Jimbo now at Texas A&M is just way better than you. LSU, even when they're down, is just has more talent. You're never going to sniff consistently. Alabama, Lane is just throwing a wrench in everything. Kirby in Georgia is good, and Dan Mullen in Florida is good. Like it's just it's going to be very very difficult to win at Auburn. Yet they view themselves like they should be competing for national championships. I just don't think he should. It's why if Mario Cristobal is smart, he doesn't leave Oregon. He can easily out-recruit everyone on the West Coast. Football is not really king out here, yet because we're pro sports. Yet at Oregon, it's a really big deal. People are very, very passionate about Oregon sports. He has an unlimited budget with Nike to do whatever he needs to do. The pressure doesn't sniff the SEC. Hell, remember when what's-his-name went from Oregon to Florida State? He was fired within like two years. Didn't work. Willie whatever. Taggart. Because the expectations in the South, it's like coaching the pros. Win or go home. In college, it's like, you know, Clay Helton, he's a good guy. Guys graduate, we produce. Yeah, we're good. We're USC, but Clay Helton's cool. You know, we're good to go, right? That's how it works out here. It takes being Kevin Sumlin, who stories on him around the University of Arizona are not good. I wouldn't call him the most focused individual. He lost 70 to 7 to his rival. That, that's what it took to get him fired. 70 to 7. If I lost one game 70 to 7 in the SEC, I'd probably get fired the next day. You're one. So Mario would be nuts if he ever left. But I, I think you see this all over college football with the amount of, you know, in pro football, you answer to one owner. In college football, you answer to all these boosters, you answer to the president, you answer to the AD. Just very, very complicated. You get too many cooks in the kitchen. It's 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 very difficult at all these schools to consistently win. Yet, like Texas carries themselves like they're Ohio State. Google Texas in my, I'm 36 years old. The majority of my life, they're like an eight or nine win team. Mack Brown had a decade-long stretch there where they were really good. You know, it turns out Mack Brown's really good. All the other coaches they get in stink. They win, you know, seven to nine games. That's just who they are. You are not Oklahoma at Texas. That's a fact. You'll never be Oklahoma. Ever. Auburn, you're, you're never going to be Alabama. Be happy winning eight, nine games. That's good. Like, that's that's okay. But that's not the case at these SEC schools. That's not the case at Texas. That's not the case at some Michigan. You know, they view themselves with such a false sense of reality. And when you're an employee, like, the great part about owning a business, you get to have a sense of reality. Like, it's it's your vision. When you're a football coach at these universities, and even in the pros, like, you get to work with the owner. So he knows your vision. Like in college football, it's like you got to convince boosters, and then this one guy might not might not like you. Well, he might be worth a hundred million dollars, and he could write a five million dollar check to add to the buyout to get you out of there. So you got all these people working against you. It gets really complicated, and I, I just think college football is in a weird path because Saban and Dabo, guys like that, have set the bar so high that every program thinks they should be sniffing that. And the reality is, most of these programs like just be lucky to be like Boise State. You know, win some games, play in bowl games, make your money, and go home. One thing this weekend showed me is there is just, we don't know much about quarterbacks. I mean, honest to God, we have, I mean, the top guys we know, but everyone else, the projections coming out of college. It's why, listen, the hype on Trevor Lawrence can't get any stronger. So if he is not an absolute superstar, it'll be a letdown. We constantly kind of prop guys up we constantly shit on guys and bury them and you know with quarterbacks you just never know you never know it's the one position I think in all of sports that the more information we have and the uh, the more data we get still the more confusing it is because Josh Allen when he came out of college, there is no way you could watch him and go, yeah you know I think this guy's going to be in three years one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league." Well, three years after he's drafted, he started at 53% his rookie year. He's now at 70%. He's improved 17% in terms of his completion percentage. That is insane. This was someone I didn't like at all coming out of college. Because I'm like, there's no way he's going to be that accurate. He hasn't just become accurate. He's become one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. He's potent. I think clearly, beside Mahomes, in my opinion, for the guys under thirty, he'd be the number two guy off the board. If we just had a fantasy draft in real football, you gave every general manager the opportunity to pick any quarterback that's young, not name Mahomes. Who were they picking? I think I think Josh Allen would be the overwhelming favorite. We knew his physical gifts, but we didn't think he was going to be accurate. Then he's accurate, and then you see a guy like Mitch Trubisky, who clearly was a swing and a miss. It's like, what's this guy's deal? What's this guy's? This guy's just not any good. Then they bench him for Nick Foles. Then he comes back in the last three weeks. Only Aaron Rodgers the last three weeks have thrown more touchdowns. He's got seven touchdowns last. He threw three touchdowns yesterday. Like Mr. Biscay's playing really good. If they would have had this Mr. Biscay the last couple years, the way he's been playing the last three weeks, they'd be they would have been in the playoffs last year. They'd be they'd have a winning record this year and be in the playoffs again. But how? Why is this happening? I don't know. Like I do know with Josh Allen having talked to McDermott, how hard he works and. But I think there have been a lot of guys over the years that work really hard. That have the intellectual, you know, intelligence. That have the the total package in terms of character and a good teammate and everything. And it just doesn't come through. And then you have guys like Trubisky where you're just like, you know, this guy's just not good enough. And maybe he's not. I mean, clearly he's never has been. But then he comes back and he starts killing it again. So we talk about Carson Wentz getting that time to kind of take a deep breath. Sometimes... When you've hit rock bottom, taking a step back really helps. Sometimes, when you go through a traumatic experience, it helps to just take a step back. And Josh Allen's a good example of where you go. And I think I, I, this speaks in life. I, I just filled out uh, some like thing for a journalism student. Just asked like five questions, and he, he, one of the questions was like, the question was pretty simple. It was who helped you get. To where you are now. And the most basic answer to that question for me is my parents. I had two parents who supported me in everything. But also held me accountable. Made me go to school. Made me try hard. Made me attempt to get good grades. Made me stick things out once I committed to. Like the most basic level of my ability to succeed in anything in life starts and ends with them. Like, yeah, then I got lucky being around Pat Hill, being around Andy Reid, and and everything that has taken place over the last, you know, 14, 15 years. But without the most basic level of being taught how to work hard, how to treat people, I don't know. Now, maybe you can develop that as you get older if you weren't taught as a younger age. But the biggest reason, like, I have a chance to succeed, I feel like, in anything I do, is strictly because of my parents. And clearly not everyone has that. So I I think the advantages of a guy like Josh Allen, once you get him in your building, you get a guy that's pretty equipped to handle all this stuff. He comes to a team that hasn't won. He's drafted seventh overall. Hell, he doesn't have that much success. And for whatever reason, he's just in a pretty good position. Now, I I just, like, why does that guy work when historically a lot of other guys don't work? I, I don't know. I think as we go, we have more questions about quarterbacks than answers. And we're going to have a quarterback crop of, obviously, Trevor Lawrence, but Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Kyle Trask, Mac Jones. Some of these guys are going to fail. Some of these guys are going to really succeed. And we'll have some hard answers, right? Went to a bad organization. Didn't have a good offensive coordinator. And some of these guys are going to go to places like, why didn't this work? High character guy, went to a good coach, and he just wasn't good enough. It's just... The quarterback position truly is one of the great head-scratchers uh, of, because so much goes into it. It's so much more than just physical talent because once you get to the NFL, you have, the, on the most basic level, probably the physical talent. But the external stuff, the internal stuff, why can Josh Allen improve his accuracy? Is it just simple? Brian Dayball's a great coach? Will his accuracy disappear when Brian Dayball leaves? Will he maintain it? I don't know. I mean, it's one of the fun parts about sports. How is it going to look? Is Mitch Trubisky, like, what if the Bears win four straight to end the season and go 9-7 and and Trubisky has a great season? Do they just bring Mitch back? I don't know. Could you convince yourself? What if Mitch throws, like, 15 touchdowns the last six games of his season? And you go, you know, he really figured it out. You convince yourself that. I necessarily wouldn't say that, but I don't know. He looks pretty good. just every year we have more information the games change we have more guys throwing touchdowns more guys being accurate and yet I still don't feel comfortable like this guy's going to be good in the NFL this guy's not going to be good in the NFL because really besides Trevor Lawrence depending on who you talk to Justin Fields Zach Wilson Trey Lance Mac Jones Kyle Trask even the rookies this year and the young guys Sam Darnold is he going to be good moving forward if I asked 10 people in the NFL I'd probably get 10 different answers just, we, we really, it just shows us, we really don't know that much about quarterbacks. Okay. Let's go Middlecoff mailbag, at John Middlecoff. My Instagram, at John Middlecoff. I think I just said that, so I didn't need to say it again. I try to post some, like, separate content from my podcast and just, I, maybe I need to start, like, doing a take of the day and just throw it on Instagram. Because I, I, I'm i going to start doing that on some YouTube pages. I'm I'll talk about that more in upcoming... In the next month, but uh, just try to just diversify the portfolio with the media takes, you know. But I, I need to be consistent. I, I, I do typically a couple posts a week on Instagram of just if something happens. But I need to be a little more consistent. I'm going to try starting Tuesday take of the day. We'll just do a take of the day, and uh, not sure what that's going to be yet here on uh, Monday night. But uh, I might just try to do seven days a week take of the day. Sounds easy, but you know it's, it's, it gets a little harder than you think. Okay, from Tom. Question for the mailbag. Why are the Jacksonville Jaguars so bad? I'm from England, and I'm a full-home FC fan. The con family owns both teams with Tony the Son, taking a sports director role at both. Their record as full-home owners, I can't say that, I don't... has not been great, and some bad management and player choices. Same for the Jags. You know what's funny is... The 49ers, like five or six years ago, invested into this team, this soccer team in Europe. They put in like $10-20 million. They didn't put in that much. But the team was not in the Premier League. And then last year, I can't even think of the team, the Leeds, Leeds United. Last year they got bumped up. And I text someone that just in the loop with the Niners and I go, what does that mean for you guys? He's like, well... Our investment just went up about fourfold, you know, and uh, it was a pretty big deal for the Niners ownership. Like it was a really good investment. And I was like, what? I I don't know much about European soccer besides like Manchester United and Man City and some of the big ones. But then I I brought this up on my other podcast and people started DMing me about how bad the Jags are at soccer because I think I was talking some shit about the Jags. And whatever team they own got relegated. Like the Niners team, again, the Niners team, they're a minority owner, but their team, boom, jumped in. I think the way the guy with the Niners described it, it was like, uh, he called them like the Oakland Raiders. Kind of like a sleeping giant. If they ever got good, it'd be cool. That's what their team is. But whatever team that Shad Khan owns sucks. So listen, I don't know much about him besides the guy's got a lot of money. But here's what I do know. He's good at business. He owns soccer teams, and he owns football teams, and they fucking suck. So, like, the evidence that we have of him as a sports team owner, I don't know much about the Jags. I don't know anyone that works there. Whatever they're doing is a disaster. And clearly, whatever they're doing with the soccer team, also a disaster. This isn't that complicated. You just hire good coaches. You hire good GMs in soccer. You hire good managers, which are the head coach or whatever. I watched Man City on Amazon Prime. They hired Lagora, the pep, the bald guy. They started kicking ass at Man City. And I watched a Barcelona document on him. I think that wherever Messi used to play where he was the coach, he's a badass. He's like, you know, Mike Tomlin or something over there. Like Just hire good coaches. Same with football. Hire a good coach. Hire a good GM. This like your team, most teams aren't good if you have bad GMs and bad coaches. If you have good GMs and good coaches, you're like, I don't know, Seattle? You know, L.A. Rams, the Chiefs, <laughs> the Saints, Steelers. You know, this isn't, this isn't a complicated strategy how to be good at running a sports team. Whatever it takes, hire good people at the most important positions, which are coach and general manager. And clearly, he just does a terrible job doing that. It's been three years now. Did Mark Davis make the right call by firing Del Rio and hiring Gruden? JDR probably needed to go after that season, but I'm not sure this experiment has panned out. He's still got seven years, but so far it's been more of the same for the Raiders. Here's a reality. I was on a radio station that had the Raiders, so I was going to a lot of Raider games, and I did Raiders pre- and post-game. Someone asked, for those of you that don't know, I had a radio show, we were the Raider station... They were so terrible, and I did post-game. And I, you know, I mean, you guys listen to me. I'm pretty, what's on my mind, I'm going to say. And I, the Raiders are on the, you know, on the far end of, get very, very sensitive. They are a sensitive bunch. And the president of the team hated me because I was constantly talking shit about them trying to move and the football team. Again, they were terrible. This was before Del Rio got there. Like Dennis Allen. I mean, it was an embar they were an embarrassing franchise. And so we we were at odds with them. But my boss was cool. He's like, just let it rip beyond. I'm just being honest. I mean, when you win three games, at one point in time, the president of the Raiders, they were 0 10. And they were going into a Chiefs game on Thursday night football. The Raiders ended up upsetting them. But after they went to 0 10 and I was doing the post game, I tweeted out, like, the Raiders have a path to go 0-16, because their last six games, was, like, the Raiders, the Niners, the Bills, like, they were going to lose a lot of games. They ended up going 3-13. That was Derek Carr and Khalil's rookie year. But the, the president of the Raiders saw that tweet, and he was incensed. Again, they were 0-10. But this is the type of stuff you deal with when you're a partner of a team. You know, it's, it's a little complicated. It's just really low-level shit. Like, bro, your team fucking sucks. You're 0-10. Why, why are you worrying about what John Middlecoff's tweeting? But he wasn't just worried about it. He was calling my boss as he's at the tarmac of whatever team they just got blown out for. So, I've been around the Raiders really closely. I knew guys on the coaching staff. I just I follow the team really closely. And when Jack got here, he was a grown-up. He made them change a bunch of stuff. He just got them up to speed. First year, he went 7-9. The second year, they were competing with the Chiefs to win the division. Might have been the Broncos actually at the time. That might have been Peyton Manning's last year, sixteen. I can't quite remember, but they Derek broke his ankle and then they lost in the first round of the playoffs. But they were a twelve-win team that year. They were really might have been eleven. They were really really good. Gruden's going on now year three. This is year three, where unlike Jack, like Reggie McKenzie did have a lot of juice as a GM, like he was picking players with Jack, but it was a team effort. Gruden is picking every player, as I talked about earlier. It's, they're on path. I mean, the Ravens are not gonna. The Ravens are gonna win ten or eleven games. The Raiders are not gonna go to the playoffs. John Gruden, you paid him hundred million dollars to not go to the playoffs. One thing I hear about John Gruden, it is just so abrasive, and he's not easy to deal with for position coaches. Maybe not position coaches as much. I, I, Mayock, I, I don't think it's smooth sailing in that building. And it starts with John. Like you can be tough to deal with when you're Nick Saban when you dominate. Like, John's screaming at him, like, John, when's the last time you won a big game in the NFL? Oh, oh 7 Like, when I was a junior in college? Back when I had hair? I mean, almost, we're talking, it's 2020, we're talking 13, 14 years ago. Like, who are you? You won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's players. Is there a chance? John Gruden's one of the most overrated coaches in NFL history. Given the hype. And there was a ton of hype. For a decade, every team lined up to try to hire him. coach, uh, Pro and college. Now he gets blown out by the Falcons? He needs a cover zero to beat the Jets? Think about that. The Raiders fans, rightfully so, were sold a bag of goods. I thought he'd be good too. I thought John Gruden was going to be like the offensive Bill Parcells. This old school badass Zero messing around, screaming at guys, holding guys really accountable, team flying around, hitting people in the mouth. Instead, it's just he gives a lot of excuses. Like He just said after the last game, he's like, you know, not to make excuses. uh, Cleveland Farrell was out with a hand. We had three guys out with Corona. Jonathan Abram got knocked out in the third quarter. I was like, John, you just made like seven excuses. You're the opposite of Bill Parcells. Mark Davis loves him, and he's not going to fire him, but... It's been an awful hire. I mean, it just it just has, you know? I, I don't know any way around it. it ha- it's been, uh, given how much they're paying him and how long his contract is, I mean, if you had to bet right now, does John Gruden, he's in year three, they're not going to make the playoffs, probably won't make the playoffs. I mean, when are they ever going to make the playoffs? What if they don't make the playoffs for like his first five years? Is he going to quit? I thought Coward, I, I thought he was wrong, but he, it turns out he was dead right. I mean, he's right about a lot of stuff. He says, when you're that good at something, and you like something that much, you don't stay away from it for 10 years. Like, looking back, that's pretty weird that he just left for a decade. It's why some of these rumors about Bill Cower, like, no, I'm not in, no Bill Coward. I, I like Bill Cower, I've met him before. I think he's a badass. Could not hire him right now to be my coach. Zero chance. No possible way. Could not hire Bill Cower. If you care that and like football that much, maybe you take five years off. You don't take a decade. You don't take 15 years. Uh, big fan of the podcast from the UK. So big that my girlfriend now feels that she actually knows your. Uh, you such as the amount I consume your content and the frequency your voice bellows from either the car or Alexa. Well, that's good. Anyway, I often hear you mention badassery or high caliber. When you're talking about qualities you admire in those around you. So given this, if you had to take five football players from your time, watching and working in the sport, down into the foxhole with you, and why? Cheers. That's a great question. I would first, in a foxhole, you'd want a smart guy around you. You'd want a tactician, right? If you're in a foxhole, if you're in a war situation if you're in just something where you need a guy to lead you to safety, I'd want Peyton Manning. To me, Peyton Manning is the ultimate thinker. Just a grinder. I'd want a thinker. Then I'd probably need i would need like a big freak left tackle. And when I first got to the Eagles, Jason Peters had to be the biggest freak in the league. He was like 340 pounds. He moved like a wide receiver. He had power like a power lifter. I mean, it was just insane how strong he was. Uh, I'd probably take Aaron Donald because I just want someone to just destroy people. Probably need a little speed, but also, you know, a tough guy. I mean, Charles Woodson is, you know, I was around him a little bit at the end with the Raiders. Always loved him those years with the Packers. I, I just love C. Wood. I mean, who doesn't love Charles? I'd go Charles Woodson. Uh, you know, I mean, I this guy, <laughs> just pound for pound. The last guy in the world you'd want to tackle in his prime would probably be Adrian Peterson. So, I, you know, he, hell, he's like almost 40 years old and he's still running strong. How do you beat AP? I know Oklahoma calls him AD. I just call him AP. It's all the same shit. Is this Baker's coming out party? Let's end on this. You know, he threw a bad pick. He was 27 of 46. Uh, I think it was a good moment. It was a good step forward. I'm not going to anoint. You can't anoint him after this, but it was a very positive game. They had four rushing touchdowns, and he was one of them. Which it was a really good play. He made good plays. He he made winning plays. He was a winning player tonight. I'll take nothing in in a big game on Monday Night Football when with millions of people watching. The bright light. The bright lights. The bright lights on. It. Co- you could see your breath. The AFC North is for tough dudes. Like it, it ain't the Southwest Coast, like where I live. Like Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. No domes. All outside. All in freezing cold environments. They all play each other late in the season. I know Cincy sucks now, but Marvin back when Marvin was there, like that's just. I have not. I have the utmost respect for that division. I, I just look at that division and I go. That's where the bad mo- motherfuckers play. <laughs> you know that. That's where the tough guys play. Think about some of those games with like the Bengals and the Steelers, the Ravens and the Steelers. I know tonight wasn't necessarily like a knockdown, dragout, you know, bloodbath, but it's just so cold. I, I, I just, I love the AFC North. What, what it stands for and represents as a, as a football division. I guess that'll uh, that'll wrap it up for uh, us, and I will see you guys uh, later this week. Enjoy the week, Christmas right around the corner. Don't forget to do your shopping. You don't want to be last minute. I've done some online shopping. Keep your fingers crossed. Everything arrives on time. You never know with Corona. You know, shit might arrive in like March. But adios, Godspeed. Enjoy the week. Stay healthy. Stay uh, stay positive. Let's let's end on that. Stay positive. Godspeed.